welcome to episode number 24 of the ETPHD team podcast. I just realised that means we're pretty much consistent for one week since the middle of the year, right? Yeah, that's like half a year, 24, <laughs> 52. Yeah, I'm going to say that. <laughs> Almost. Okay, I'm, I'm a little bit off, only a little bit. Um, <laughs> excellent, Mad. Anna, hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I, yeah, I've had a really good day today. I've kind of taken a bit of a, a chill self-care kind of day. I know it's been great. <laughs> How are you? Excellent. Well, I've not seen it on Instagram, so did you even self-care? There's been, uh, I've put baking up, but a lot of the time I've oh, just yeah. switched up. Did, just... Your car- did your caramel work? Fingers <sighs> crossed. I'm trying to, I'm attempting brittle. So mm-hmm. we shall see. If it sets, brilliant. If it doesn't, then... Well, I've ruined a pan anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Louis? I'm good, yeah. Um, I probably need, I'm definitely having an early night tonight. I felt I felt really tired today. I was up really early finalising some presentation stuff and I was just like, I've been, and then that's just sort of written me off all day, so I've been used to be honest. But yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I've got a hot chocolate. And it is mint choc chip um, options. So it's a very um, good one. Also, also, that is an excellent mug that you have there. <laughs> that, was, that was, obviously, people can't see that, but that's a Central Perk mug. I very much approve <clears> that mug. Um, so, yeah, you're winning all round. Yeah, so you did a you did a sixty slide presentation that you didn't get to present today. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, like I had some issues coming this morning. Um, but hopefully, doing it again soon around sort of compassionate weight management and the research around it, and it was really one. I think the worst bit was planning it out, and then actually doing it was really exciting it was really like tiring to do but it was actually like oh this is a really cool point and then this one and they got really into it and um so yeah hopefully they enjoy it they might be bored of it but i'll enjoy it and that's all that matters so <laughs> yeah. i think i guess like see with presentations if you're having the best time generally people are having the best time doesn't really matter what you say like if you're having a good time that's what i tell myself <laughs> my students I'm like it's fine I'm having fun um <laughs> we do have questions today but I've been on such a rant Lou was, was just saying before we came on um that he doesn't even know if we'll get to the questions because I was on I had my cage rattled, rattled <laughs> um, mostly in part by someone else on this podcast who's stirring the pot um <laughs> it's not me let me just put that there uh, no, do you know what? Actually, that wasn't the initial trigger for me. So there's two topics I would like to to discuss, <laughs> and one of them I think you guys will probably agree with, but the other one you might not agree with me on. So I'm interested on your thoughts, and I've discussed this before on on a bit on Instagram and a bit on EIQ, but we've never talked about it on here. So I was on Instagram Explore the other night, which I don't often do, and you know how they show up reels like the big. This reel came up and it was a girl who I've heard of who's in the fitness industry, who has a lot of followers. And she was in her underwear. She's very quite muscular, this girl. She was in her underwear. And it was it was a video of two videos side by side. One was like, this is what you see. And this is what we all... And then another one was like, this is what we all look like, right? And it was her like just walking around in her underwear, which is completely fine. And obviously it falls into that, uh, those pictures, right? Of like uh, real versus instagram versus real or whatever or we all have cellulite etc etc and we've all got thoughts i think we have touched on this a little bit but i saw this video and i have without this is not in a conceited way but i have a really happy body image and that i don't care really about my body in terms of how it looks particularly apart from my face but that's a different thing mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I'm, I'm quite happy and i saw this video and i felt triggered to the point where i sent it to my best mate and i was like mate i feel triggered by this because this girl is there was not there was not an ounce of cellulite on her even when she clenched there was not an ounce of cellulite on her you know she didn't wobble when she walked when she was showing that she wobbled and I kind of thought like I was hormonal right during PMS your body image goes down a little bit so I'm aware that I feel a bit wobbly on uh, PMS times but I was genuinely like I can't this is this is toxic to my mind and I think to my friend she was like I swear to god if one more person tells me it's okay to have cellulite when they don't have an inch of cellulite she was like I can't actually cope and I was like and and this is two people me and my mate both have decent body image we're both 34 you know we're not triggered by stuff and then I was like 
I can only imagine what people feel like who are, you know, 22, 21 years old, who do have um, like issues with their body image that they're trying to work on. And they see someone who is quote unquote, I'm not even going to use the word actually, someone who doesn't appear to have any cellulite or wobble, et cetera, saying it's okay to have this. And obviously I have, I have good friends who do similar posts to this, who are amazing people. And so I, dis- I disagree with some of the stuff that they might post. And, and like that, I would disagree with them to their face. It's not a, a bitchy type of thing. But I find it really unhelpful. And for lots of reasons. Other reasons, obviously, that it's the fact that it's just highlighting anything to do with your, your body image being about the way that you look, which it's not. Um, I, don't, like, I don't know. It's the first time I've been triggered by it. Like, have you guys you guys know the types of posts that I mean, right? Um. What do you like? What do you feel about them, like personally or professionally, like in general? Obviously, this is not a reflection of people; it's a reflection of a specific type of content that is out there, which is basically out there because it gets engagement. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, I think it's, it's again. Where where is it coming from? Is it coming from a good place, or are they using their bodies to get interactions to make a an on-brand or an on-topic point that doesn't actually apply to them and them not actually acknowledging how privileged they are potentially and like some people really really do struggle and like we all we all have our struggles but some people's are a lot more severe and if you've just gone well I've got some wobbly bits but I'm okay about it and I need to tell everyone else they're okay you're like you've got to understand that some people's might really really struggle with that and getting that message across in an empathetic way instead of just going well I don't care so you shouldn't care is it can show a lack of empathy and a lack of understanding and highlight sometimes some people just don't really acknowledge how privileged they are sometimes yeah that's that's a big thing to do with it and you're right like intentions is so important and a lot of people you see all these comments on these types of posts and they're like thank you so much for posting this this really helped me feel a certain way and so I completely understand it for some people that can be really helpful um what do you think Anna? I yeah completely agree that it's got to be coming from the right place um I think you see so many of these girls with like quote ideal bodies that are trying to make it more relatable to everybody and you can't you can't relate to them because like you said they're not they've not got roles they've not got so like they don't wobble and jiggle and whatever else um personally I don't see a lot of that I just on my explore page there's a lot of memes and dogs which is <laughs> excellent for me um but I think Yes, they can be helpful, um, but you also need to be aware that a lot of them are going to be posed and forced mm. just so you can see it that way. Yeah. I think like there's a, a point of like telling someone not to think about something and go in, like, don't think of a big pink elephant. And as soon as you say that, someone's going to think of it. So it's like, don't think about body image and you're like well actually all the insecurities and they come to the surface and it's going to make me feel worse that you're only going and you're like you're saying oh it's okay to have this small amount on like I've got cellulite and they haven't really got it and you're like but I've got a lot potentially and this mm-hmm. is the person speaking themselves going it's just making me so much more self-conscious of like when I stand like that my mine potentially quote unquote looks worse and it can just it causes like you said like bodies become the focus rather than focusing on other things like we know lots of people who are body positive focus on like what their bodies can do and and improve themselves that way and taking the focus away from their body but constantly going everyone should love their bodies but look at my body and I love mine you're like you're at a different stage or a different point in your journey to me and like I can't relate to that and it can actually make some people feel worse yeah you're totally hit the nail on the head and it's that's the point it's still it's still encouraging you to compare your body to someone else regardless of what that body is you are still actively then saying someone is actively saying look at me comparing my body in different angles now your body compare that to mine you're also normal and it's like yeah but my my body's compared to yours I do have more cellulite and so should I I don't understand if that's a good thing or a bad thing like 
there's a lot to be said for like and again I think we have spoken something about this before the evidence behind forcing yourself to be positive about the way your body looks can actually have a detrimental effect so forcing positivity on people like that I don't think is particularly helpful but again this this could be completely me and I used to post like that but now if I post I and I've got cellulite in my picture I just don't bring it up because to me, normalising cellulite yeah. and rolls and wrinkles and everything else means not saying, oh, excuse my cellulite or look at this cellulite. It's just not even, you don't mention noses, you don't mention eyes and legs and arms. Why are you mentioning every other aspect of your body, which is completely normal? I don't want, I don't feel the need to tell you that I've got cellulite. I also don't feel the need to, to not pose a certain way because you think that I actually look like that in real life all the time. Of course, people don't look like they've got their bodies angled all the time. People, I'm sort of at the stage where I think it, that shouldn't have to be an explanation. It should just be normalised to stand one way, normalised to stand another, normalised to have cellulite, normalised to not show it in pictures if you don't want to, not normalised to filter out, but, you know, just normal. And I feel like these, I, like, for, for the first time I felt triggered and I thought, if I feel triggered, I can only really imagine what that must feel like for someone that doesn't have like who hasn't been training for eight years who hasn't done all this work I just I don't know I'm interested for people who are listening I'm really interested to know because there's no wrong answer here and like we like we've said there's, there's some pros to it but I'm interested to know what people think it's also worth highlighting that Instagram engagement the, the way that the algorithms work highlight um bodies that are naked women white bodies like that's that's an Instagram algorithm basically. Like not that not that Instagram is inherently racist, but like it's it pushes certain things forward. And so mm. those types of pictures deliberately get pushed through Instagram as for engagement. Yeah. And it's like if you want to gain a big following quickly and you're the typical aesthetically looking female, it, it I can imagine it's quite a dilemma to be like do I stick to potentially what my beliefs are or do I play the game? And mm-hmm. like, it's it, like, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? It's that what gains engagement. And, but then I also know of coaches who have gone down that route or heard of coaches going down that route and the audience that they build aren't going to support them because they're interested only for one thing as well. And that isn't their coach services that is to look at them as something to look at aesthetically and um so yeah i think some people it can come back to bite them in the bum a little bit yeah you have to really want to be an influencer if you want to do that you want to be an influencer and that's fine but then you've got to be able to recognize as a consumer this person is doing this because they are an influencer i can't take what they say as a coach potentially i need to be more mindful of what they say as a coach because on their instagram I don't know about services offline. Um, yeah. So that was my first. That was that was okay. so that was two days ago. It kind of slipped me over. Keeping in mind PMS, okay. And then yesterday I was bombarded with some utter. I'm going to put this out there. Complete shit coaching. Um, that was sent to me through Miss Monday herself. Um, around coaches who are claiming to cure cure binge eating and I obviously ranted on this on my Instagram story for anybody who saw this because I was so riled because we have specific coaches not even we have certain coaches in the industry that um, sell their services as binge eating specialists who are not psychologists or psychotherapists not even nutritionists or dietitians or anything or doctors they are literally pts who have had clients who they dieted so hard that they develop binge eating and then they then they decide because binge eating is like a niche market they decide that that's going to be what they sell and not only are they doing it completely um it's completely immoral because they are saying that they can help people with eating disorders which is completely beyond our, even our scope of practice you know unless someone's working with another professional um but then they're also doing it in completely the wrong way they're doing things like including cheat meals having people on rigid 
like vegan meal plans, um, not tackling any of the actual causes, but just tackling, let's just mask it with a meal plan. And then they look like they've been quote unquote cured. And then as soon as they come off the meal plan, they're in an absolute shit state again because you've not done anything to support them. And then they then have to go and get treatment. All the while, these people are paying these coaches and these coaches are becoming fully booked because they've got the kind of tagline of Benji in in their bio. And it's like my my friend who's not in the fitness industry anymore, she's like my go-to in terms of am I being overdramatic about X, Y or Z? And so last night I was raging to her and I was like, am I being like, am I just being sensitive? And she was like, no, I would be fucking livid. And that was her exact word. And I and I am. And I still feel it today. Um, obviously, Anna, you saw a lot of it. Mm. I, I'm not overreacting, am I? No, no. <laughs> no. Oh, it was, I, ju- I, I just can't believe that it is, I think it is, Truly, I think it's great that so many more people are talking about it because, I, well, we've both spoken about our, our own struggles post-show and back then it happened and you were aware that a lot of, I'm not just saying obviously with competitors, but even at the time there was no real talk about it and it was, it almost, you, you did, you felt quite alone. Um and so the fact that more and more people are aware and more and more people are talking about it is great. But it's when people aren't qualified, are using methods that aren't going to help people. They're not using, like, well, I think I posted about the, the, the kind of evidence-based methods that we use on our team to help people that genuinely work. And like you said, if you're just handing out a meal plan with a with a cheat meal that's not helping the client tackle their own problems you're not educating people in any shape or form you're just hiding the problem yeah yeah and it's like that that saying of do no harm right that's what we try and do no harm and it's like these people are doing harm and also charging for it and and are and are full and are fully booked doing it and it infuriates me because I think I'm even mindful of when I say, like, if someone says something and they've, they haven't benched in months or whatever, I'm even mindful of sharing what they say on my Instagram because I don't want people to come to me thinking I can support um, eating disorders because obviously some of our clients do deal with binging, um, but they, they either don't fit the criteria for binge eating disorder or they um, are working with someone else or they've had all these other treatments. Like there's, we would never work with someone straight off the back and say you've got binge eating disorder, so come on and take a quiet. So I, even like we're always mindful of not putting that in our stuff. Like the word binge is fine and it's it can be quite subjective, but if we put binge eating specialists in our bio, which to be fair, like out of everyone that says that they do it, we're probably we would probably be the most qualified to do that, even though we're not. Think like our our client base would escalate by like exponentially because people would be like, oh, this is this is what I need help with, but it's just so I, I can't get like I can't get on board with it because it, it encourages people to seek help for clinical eating disorders from a freaking PT on Instagram that doesn't have a clue. It's just it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And like I think the issue is is that when you mask the problem, it looks like you've solved it. And then they stop working with them and they their habits resume and they think that it's their fault. And I think that's the worst bit that the PT or whoever it is, is putting it all on them going, well, I've got this thing that you need to stick to and you need to work with me. The thing that I think we can all agree on is the best thing is when a client feels confident enough that they've worked on their journey with us and they're like, you know what, I think I can go by myself. And that's what we want is for them to have the tools to use and go knowing that we're here if they need us but they've got the tools the knowledge and the confidence to go forward and live their life to the fullest when instead of just giving them a short-term fix and sort of creating that loop like on my research and there's some there's a quote from i know it's not the same topic from uh, i think it's the old ceo of weight watchers where it's like 85 percent of their customers were returning customers and that's the sort of <laughs> this person will do this was from he was like ceo until 1999 i think um but that's the model this person will work on going i'll solve your binge eating disorder for 12 to 16 weeks 
they leave them and they go, oh, what worked last time? Oh, I worked with so-and-so. And it's just repeating that cycle. So it's it's a lack of integrity. I think it's a lack of knowledge. And hopefully, I think the best wishful thinking would be that they're just a bit naive and they're not. But I, I think that's just wishful thinking on our part. Um, and it's almost that Dunning-Kruger effect as well. It's like the more you know, as in we do a lot of reading around that area of, psychological change and behavior change with people but we're still not qualified to work in that area but we're aware of it and the more you know the more you realize that you don't know and I think that's really important to realize with a good coach I think we'd be confident that we can find answers but we don't have all the answers and we're confident in saying that because we're we're always going to be learning yeah I've uh, got all the but, answers <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's yeah it we're we're working and we're trying our best and we're hopefully this becomes less frequent but it's on topic at the moment isn't it that because people are speaking about it more everyone's like well i i used to binge so maybe i can and i got through it because i just gave i just stuck to the same five foods and that'll solve it mm. and that's and they'll be like well i'll just get my clients to do that and i'll charge them for it mm. so yeah it's 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 good that people are speaking more about it and talking about their issues but it doesn't make them qualified to help and support people through it yeah, last year, um, I think, Anna, you'll remember this last year when it was like people were talking about it and under the guise of willpower. I think that was the mm. thing last year. But binge yeah. eating is an issue as it's willpower. Oh, piss off, you stupid prep coach. <laughs> anyway, moving on. That, I think and Zen. <laughs> let, me, let me just do my, my compassionate breathing for a second and then I'll be back. Um, so I have tons of questions tonight i wonder if i could start on a couple that because these two of them fall into the same topic and i think it's an interesting topic that we haven't covered in a while if at all actually so two of my qu- clients two of my <laughs> clients i haven't had any wine tonight that was just <laughs> <laughs> um okay um have ha, are, feel or are perimenopausal so someone has said um that they, they feel like they've lost the urge to exercise and she also thinks she's perimenopausal and the other person said um you mentioned last week that if you're perimenopausal then your body is your response I'm going to reword this a little bit but your response to protein intake is blunted why is this and what protein sources would be someone for better like better would be better for someone like me jeez um so interesting because yeah, we haven't we haven't spoken about this, and I don't know if any of you guys have clients at the moment who are perimenopausal. Mm. Um, no, so I mean, do you want me to? Do you, any of you want to? <laughs> okay, I'll start on it. I'll go for it. Um, I can't get my words out today. I, <laughs> I have no idea why. It's the rage. <laughs> yeah, no, I really do. Just need to calm down. So yeah, so on the basis of um, perimenopausal, for people who are not sure, it just means either like pre mid or like soon after after like going through the change basically before you come at the other end um and what happens with protein as you get older is that your your anabolic response to protein feeding is blunted and what i mean by that is your body basically becomes less responsive so if i gave somebody who was 20 years old and someone who was 60 years old 30 grams of protein after they did a gym session, the person who had had 30 grams who was 20 years old would have a better protein synthesis response in their muscles versus somebody who did it at 60. And that's just due, um, for women, a lot of that's to do with the, the drop in estrogen that you get when you are, um, after the menopause, your, your estrogen starts to plummet and estrogen is supportive of muscle mass accretion and uh, protein synthesis, basically. So some of that's to do with that. And some, some of it's also just to do with getting older and an age. So we see this in men and women. So as you become perimenopausal around that time, it becomes more important to get your protein and to get sufficient protein and to get um, regular protein feed- feedings throughout the day to try and offset that a little bit. And where we often will say have about 30, 25 to 30 grams of protein if you're, if you're a woman, um, in servants it might actually be that we would say maybe try and have 35 to 40 grams in a servant three times a day um rather than slightly less because actually it becomes more important for your your muscles but also what happens during menopause is that your appetite tends to go up 
and that is also due to fluctuations in your hormones but it's also to do with um, often your sleep gets disturbed so as your sleep gets disturbed your some of your hunger hormones respond to lack of sleep so your um, ghrelin is like the, the hormone that makes your stomach rumble that goes up when you've not had enough sleep so if you're you're perimenopausal you've not had very much sleep you wake up you're hungrier protein is is more satiating than other foods so actually making sure you get enough protein is really important to help manage your appetite and there is also some evidence although not in menopause and you guys will be aware of this where if you have people on fat loss diets people who have less sleep than unless and lower quality sleep compared to people that have good quality sleep actually see more uh, muscle mass loss and less fat loss compared to people who have good quality sufficient sleep so sleep's really important and that and, and that does get impacted during menopause so protein is super important at that time um other things to consider if you're perimenopausal are things like because your sleep goes down uh, your sleep quality goes down often your neat levels go down without you even realizing so your energy expenditure is reduced um so your energy energy balance equation changes slightly your bmr goes down as you age anyway unfortunately everyone's basic metabolic rate slightly declines as they get older um and also you do become slightly more emotionally challenged because of these changes in your fluctuations in your hormones so then you become more prone to things like emotional eating stress eating etc um and also during menopause, and I think was it you that was mentioning this the other day, Louis? Were we talking? Were we talking about this other day that the redistribution of fat? Mm. Where, where did we talk about that on the podcast? Uh, about yeah. in uh, storing fat in certain places versus mm. men. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so during menopause, you get a shift in body fat away from your legs and your hips towards your stomach. So then you excuse your view of yourself at the same time. So. Mm. There's a lot going on during this time and it becomes tough. So that's why resistance training. So for one of the people who says they've lost the urge to exercise at this time, that's completely normal because you're probably because you're tired. Um, so and your temperature regulation might be off a little bit. You're just less desiring to, to train, which is completely understandable. But at this point, it's super important to train because it's it's harder to hold on to your muscle mass strength is going to become much more important to support you and your bone and, and your bone health training is so important for your bone health which starts to deteriorate after menopause because of your hormones so i think at that time like reframing things a little bit and being a bit more gentle with yourself and definitely here compassion is so important towards yourself to say this is going to be harder but it's totally, you know, you can control a lot of it. You can control your strength training, you control your protein intake, you control your sleep to some degree anyway. Um, and having a good control and management of all of those things, because right now you're really important. It's like self-care and supporting yourself, either active self-compassion or passive, however, you, whatever works at this point is probably more important than it has been in a really, really long time. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I think that's, important for anyone who is even nearing menopause um, to consider that and that's why it's so great to get strength training in uh, when you're younger as well because then when it comes to these times you're not trying to start something new so most people that listen to this are, are weight training anyway so mm. head starts mm. I think one thing um like yes okay the 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 motivation to train might not be there, but it doesn't necessarily have to be eight sessions in your typical form. I mean, resistance training can be such a wide range of different things. Um, and I know for for my mum, Pilates is her go-to. She does that two or three times a week and that's enough for her. Um, and one of the things that, well, both her and my dad, I've got them on creatine. I'm like, please, please, just, just take that. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. My mum won't take that. <laughs> well, it was yeah. when she's decided to go plant-based and I was like, you really, really need to take this then, please. Because <laughs> she just doesn't have a clue, bless her. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's just super important for everyone to take note on this because we'll all know someone at some point going through the menopause and just being a bit more understanding of why people might be behaving or a bit more emotional or less likely to train and just creating a more 
supportive environment for them as well because as Amelia said it's not just about that time there and the next year or so it's about long-term health and um, we know that having higher amounts of muscle mass in the long term as you age is less likely to fall, less likely prone to fractures. You, If you are hospitalised, you've got a quicker return to normal life, better quality of life, and all these things are really important. So just prioritising things instead of about muscle mass training, just going health, long-term well-being, quality of life, that could be really, really an important why and behind why we're trying to do all these things. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think as well, so for one of these people, I think I think actually this has happened to a lot of people where lockdown has knocked us completely out of our training regimes, right? We're trying to do our best to find other ways to do it. X, Y, and Z. We've spoken about this so many times. But for a lot of us, it's like we've been out of it for so long. And for some people who who don't necessarily have that inherent drive to train, which is not like not a lot of people do. It's like at some point, it's like you know that you felt good when you were doing it. And it's hard to remember to nine months ago when you were consistently in the gym or you were consistently going to classes or whatever it was. But you know, if you think back to how you felt then, think how good you felt. And often we are waiting to be motivated to train. And sometimes you just have to do it, even if you don't have the most motivation. You need to make it easy for yourself. And we've spoken about this before, but you need to make it easy for yourself and just do it. I know that's really cliche, but the once you start getting into the routine of doing it again, you will find that the motivation comes back. I think often we we wait to want to do something and it's like, you know what, sometimes you don't want to do something, but you just have to do it. <laughs> Is this as close as like us as a team get to grind harder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much. I could I could feel it slipping out my mouth and I I, I just reminded me of a, like, a post a while ago and it's like a quote I think I got while I thought about it while talking to a client and it, it's but it wasn't in the headspace to do it so I just didn't do it and it's like maybe you need to do it in order to get in the right headspace and I think that's yeah. really important for people to realize that sometimes motivation comes from doing the action rather than having the motivation to do it mm, yes exactly that okay um Anna do you have a question Yes, complete change of <laughs> change of pace, of course. <laughs> um, so I suppose it's more discussion. Um, and I know many people will relate to being a perfectionist, um, but it's how to overcome, like, I suppose the fear of failing and making mistakes. Louis? Um, I think I, I'm... I think I potentially struggled with being a perfectionist a, a while ago, but I found it so exhausting that it sort of, it, I just slipped out of it, luckily for me. And I think that's probably, I was very fortunate in that as well. I think me and, me and Amelia have spoke about this before, that perfection is an illusion that actually it can cause us to procrastinate and delay because we want something to be perfect when actually sometimes we just need to do it to the best of our ability. And if we do it to the best of our ability, that's all we can do that chasing perfection because I think the concept I had was perfection doesn't exist in a period because time's always moving as well so as time's moving on reflection or prior uh, prior to that the action could have been better anyway so perfection just doesn't exist actually in the world um but it's one of those things that actually what is driving this and is it negatively impacting your current quality of life and exploring where what's driving that perfection and what's potentially brought that on can be really, really useful in sort of identifying the drivers behind the behaviour, something that I always say, and I think I say it every podcast, identifying the why, where is it coming from? But um, having a mantra that I have is that good enough is good enough. I think I got that from Sarah Buller, the dietitian who works in eating disorders, and I think yeah if you realize that the world doesn't fall apart when something that isn't right that can be really really sort of empowering and release that sort of cloud over your head of oh it wasn't perfect because good enough is good enough mm-hmm. yeah i have my own quote for perfectionism which i think i i mean i probably got from Brene. let's be honest at some point <laughs> in my life but i remember doing an infographic on this like three years ago and it's perfection is the enemy of done it's like when you're consistently trying to be perfect you will never get anything done and 
and it's unlike like Louis said we were talking about this it's an illusion perception is perfection is perception so for example you can look at any one of my scummy ex-boyfriends and at some point I thought to myself that man is perfect like I thought like and now now they make me feel a bit sick but I I at that time was like this person is perfect that is a total perception based on the stories that I tell myself right if I um, when I used to march to do work, right, and it would be like essays or whatever, so it's a bit subjective, right? There'd be a marking scheme, but still subjective. I could look at an essay one day and be like, that essay is perfection. And, I mean, that never happened, but I could. And then one of the other lecturers could look at it and be like, look at the same marking scheme and be like, that essay was, it was fine, it was average, using the same marking scheme. And because it's a perception of what we, the narratives that we already have in our head, it's how that fits into our narrative. So if you're trying to be perfect, which ultimately you're probably not being perfect for yourself, right? You're trying to be perfect for someone else's approval, be that a, a partner, a job, whatever it is, you are never going to be able to change that person's perception. So there's no point in even trying. Right. Yeah, the other thing that I, I think is important to consider, and, and it's something that comes into like a lot of thought work is we decide if things are good or bad right so say you're going for something and you're so scared of failing because you're such a perfectionist so you do it or you don't do it because you're so scared of failing how do you know that that feeling what you call feeling is a negative thing let's take it back to the boys right so if I that those relationships completely failed right they, they failed I choose to believe that that was how long they were supposed to last and therefore they were successful. However, if you look at it in terms of marriage and kids, they failed. They are, that's not a bad thing. Like, if you look at my exes, you'll be like, that's a freaking great thing that they failed. Like, it's perception, right? Um, <laughs> what? It's true. <laughs> but it, it's complete perception. It's the same as anything. I failed. I went to a uni and I lasted, the first time I went to uni and I lasted one day and I left. And my dad was living. He was like, you you failed at uni my dad's great but at that point um you failed it it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me even though I got crap for it for ages for for bailing on uni because then I went to a different uni then because of all of those choices now we are having this conversation and things have the meaning that we give them like why is failure negative because we say that it's negative like because you think that's what you want no like you've given meaning to that so try and think of failing as you can still call it feeling if you want, but try and think of it as an opportunity, like Louis says, opportunities, right? But think of it as an opportunity. It's, it's just, it's not a roadblock. It's just redirected you into a better direction, even if you can't see it yet. Um, and I think, like, I think that's really important. Like, I like to think of, I read this in a book and it's like, they were talking about the tree of life as an analogy for regrets, right? It was a book that I read recently, actually. And because I, I was having some recent regrets, not about those boys, I would like to add. And, um, they were saying oh like when you think of the tree of life most people will know what that is it's just basically a tree with loads of branches coming off uh, and they were talking about representing it as a branch that said if you go this way then this thing could happen then why will happen and didn't happen and it's really easy to say well if I made that decision instead then I would have that job and then that could have happened but if you did you also could have ended a relationship you could have had to move cities everything could have changed based on one tiny little decision. And it's like that failure could technically have saved your relationship. That failure could have technically saved something else. Um, so I like to think of it like that. I mm. think it's, I think that's a work in progress for everyone, but I do think that's helpful in terms of reframing regrets, failures, stuff like that. Yeah. I think the only thing I want to add on to that is obviously this year has been a year of, lots of inner work <laughs> for myself and the realization that the as long as I can remember I've always tried to everything has to be perfect no matter like all walks of life everything needs to be perfect and it stems back from the limiting belief that I'm not good enough so when things aren't perfect it's and it's just that vicious cycle um so doing things that you're not comfortable with allowing yourself to fail I mean, it's getting stupid that I'll purposely be late to meet a friend because it makes me feel uncomfortable and that's not perfect. But doing those sort of things to break that cycle and realise that actually it's OK if 
whatever doesn't happen, you're not on time, X, Y, and Z. If you can do that and just realise that it's it's okay, everybody does it. And I think realising as well or asking yourself, what do you allow from other people? You don't expect them to be perfect 100% of the time, if at all. So why do you expect that of yourself? I like mm-hmm. that a lot. So in terms of like that, I am not like the not enough narrative. I think that a lot of people will be really familiar with that, let's be honest. So in terms of the work that you've done, you think a lot of it, the way that you've found is really, things that you've found to be really helpful are, are actually almost putting yourself in a situation that would would confirm that not enough, i.e. lie, uh, being late and stuff, like as an imperfect. Because then it just teaches you that even if you're not perfection, yeah. that time, not, the world doesn't end. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Nice is yeah. not the right term. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, that. I that. Deep down I know that I am a good person and I'm not being an arsehole and it's all gonna it's a, it's all gonna be fine. It's for it's for the better that I do this. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is a, a good thing to do as well is look back at things like hard things that have happened previously at the time that you thought were the end of the world. And now they've led to the point of where you are now and like good things have come from them. And like, like Amelia says, those breakups at the time, you, you think that they're going to break you, but actually they end up making you. So sometimes those failures and like that, that job that didn't happen or not getting that position or that promotion or whatever can be, it, if you choose it to be, it can be the best thing to ever happen to you. Mm, totally that. It feels shit for a while, let's be real, everyone, but once mm. you reframe it, it's helpful. <laughs> um, Lou, you got a question? Yes, um, this one is about uh, someone who has just started their nursing degree and has asked for a few tips around night shifts or changing shifts and what they how they should approach it. So, Amelia? Yeah, I'm just moving position whilst I sit on the floor since... Um, my office is a shit tip um yeah that's a good question because shift work is really hard with nutrition regardless of whether you're dieting or you're not dieting shift work is is tough and without going into all of the research and the science we know that actually shift work can be actually quite detrimental for people in terms of their um overall metabolic health um i'm not going to use the word mortality but it can be it can be hard on people's health um, body composition aside so it's a tr- it's a tricky time and, and I've worked with people like nurses uh, people that work in airlines and doctors and stuff who have all managed this in different ways and do you know what in the in an ideal so if we look at science if in an ideal world anyone that was like working overnight say I would say stick to protein overnight potentially a little bit of fat um, to get you through your shift, to help you satisfy you and satiate you, and then more of your food when you're at home in the in the morning um, or before work during the day. And the reason for that is because physiologically what happens to your body is that later in the day you get things like um, impaired glucose tolerance, so your body's not as optimal at um, carbohydrate metabolism, shall we say. So there's things like, and there's also changes in things like gastric emptying, um, autophagy, lots of different things that happen over, over that time. So in a scientific clinical sense, a really good thing to do is to have protein overnight and then have your food during the day. In a practical sense, that's really, really, really tough. And it's tough, especially if you're doing nights one week and then days the next week and back to night. That's really, really hard. Um, the best thing you can do is is try and keep to some sort of structure that that you can carry through day like week to week regardless of what time you're working so if you eat three meals a day when you're on days try and do that the same when you're on nights etc I've had some clients who one client in particular actually who was a doctor and she she actually found that just not really eating while she was on night shift was really helpful and she like she'd have a protein shake if she was hungry um and then during the day she would just eat regardless of what shift she was on and she found that really really uh, the easiest thing to do um because she wasn't battling with her appetite I think one of the other main struggles is often like especially with nurses and stuff people bring food in and and snacks and stuff and it's so hard when you're overnight 
working and tired to not have those things and obviously we always give people permission to eat but I think that for people who are potentially on a fat loss diet I think sometimes it can be as simple as saying do you know what this week try just not to have the snacks at work if you want snacks you can have them outside of that but for this week alone you're just not going to have those things at work and sometimes more rigid guidelines actually can be really helpful in those settings um because you are impaired at that time of night and it's it's tough um what like what are your guys thoughts on it um so i don't i don't think i've i've worked with many clients that have had to do um night shifts but those that have have found that keeping meals like you said the same through the day um and then just if they are going to have a snack keeping it high protein through the night um and try and stick like you said just so that when they are working days or days off then eating habits haven't changed their schedule hasn't changed and they can just slip back in and relatively easily yeah I've got nothing more to add to that really like yeah just <laughs> nailed it um the just actually sleep hygiene might be one thing just to look at as well just like making sure that the room is as dark as possible making sure that if you need to try and lull your body into sort of a bedtime routine during the day that you're doing the sort of things that you normally do that sort of bedtime routine that I'm sure we've all we've all got that sort of half hour before where we do our certain routines and rituals that get us in the mood to go to sleep so doing those types of things um what was that <laughs> um and then uh yeah just i i think it is one of those things of just managing as best you can like it's it's not ideal and you are going to have a higher appetite and it's not going to be optimal so it's just about doing your best having those probably slightly more rigid guidelines and seeing the bigger picture and just managing the best you can yeah yeah so. okay um i'm actually gonna take us on another little bit of a tangent because we've not spoken about this topic either and a couple of my clients are in this situation um can you suggest any ways to cope with body and hormone changes during pregnancy for example negative body image thoughts etc does anybody does anybody want to I think we can tackle this in a couple of different ways like obviously there's the pregnancy situation but in terms of negative body image mm. do any of you want to touch on that in terms of like with your body changing and stuff or yeah I think it's it's a wonderful time and you are doing one of the most amazing things with your body and instead of having it as just an ornament to look at looking at what it's capable of is is a truly wonderful thing um you have a almost a greater responsibility now because obviously you've got a child on the way there's another human involved so imagine what kinds of things that you hope for that that environment for that child to grow up in where it's a loving caring compassionate environment um so like we always say calling out these judgment thoughts and actually reminding yourself of actually i'm I'm growing a human here my body is doing amazing things and looking at what it's capable of instead of potentially having an off day where you're like oh i i feel like xyz and instead of just going my body's doing phenomenal things and how incredible is it that we can do this and i'm able to bring this child into the world and i'm on the journey and documenting it in a really positive way can be actually something i've had a client who uh, worked with us early in the year and she said that like it was one of the most positive things that she's done because it was her second child and she said all the like gratitude journaling talking about the excitement and things like that of what's going what's coming ahead and documenting it can be a really really good thing to look back on afterwards as well mm, yeah i think you're right and i think it's it's quite it's quite 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 common for people when they, they fall pregnant for these types of issues to come back up so this person has done some amazing work to get to this point and it's amazing that she's she's now pregnant she's of course really grateful for that I think that it's quite common for these like get to be triggered but keep in mind in that first trimester you are this is when your hormones are 
like a shit storm so you're you're it's very difficult to even be rational with your gratitudes and your values and things and I think it can be helpful to say I'm going to focus on just getting through this next six weeks or however long you've got left of that first trimester and 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 then I will then really hone in on these types of habits because do you know what that first 12 weeks is not it's it's tough and it's not a time to be feel bad to about yourself because you can't do all the habits that you used to do because you're probably sick you're probably tired and you're probably really hormonal so I, I think it's helpful at that point to say let's get through this first point and do what I can that I know that it makes me feel good um the other thing I think is like either now or, or moving forward is to look at and something that one of my other clients is, uh, is at the end of her pregnancy well she's not she's in her third trimester but something she's found really helpful is reevaluating her values so she is um an athlete and she has gone from like training unbelievably intensely and really focusing on performance to now thinking right like Louis said I want to create a compassionate safe space for my baby and these are how my values have changed and where I think we actually did this task at the beginning where we look at um when you look at your headspace and we've got this resource on uh, on our portal where we say draw out how much time you spend on um each aspect so food body relationships etc and how much time you spend on each of these things in the day now draw out a, a graph where you would want that to be and so you might want your body image time to go down and then you might want to actually say, do you know what? If my body image time that I spend on my body image goes down, I've got more time to read pregnancy books or I've got more time to make my husband rub my feet or whatever it is that um, is important for you that you don't have enough time to do. Think about how you now have time to do that if you, if you reduce your time that's spent worrying about your body. Because ultimately, yes, it's not a case of us saying... Um, I'm sitting down for half an hour to worry about what my body looks like. We know that it's not what we do, right? It's infiltrating all the time, but it does still take up time. So actually putting some actions around other things that you can do that you, like I said, that this is a time that you can milk the support from other people. So milk it and write a list of like, these are the goals that I want to have outside of this that are going to lead me to feeling like I have a healthy, happy pregnancy or just a, do you know what take the pressure off just a pregnancy that you can manage through to the end like without without feeling negatively about yourself don't try and force yourself to feel good about what your body's doing yes it's doing amazing things and yes like it's the most amazing thing your body will ever do um but don't you want to force yourself to be happy about it because i think that, that can be quite difficult if you if you especially in the first 12 weeks when it's a challenge Mm. I had a PT client who I think I saw because I've been training her before she she was happy to carry on training in the first trimester and I think I saw her about twice in those 12 weeks and it was painful on both our parts <laughs> <laughs> oh but then like week 13 week 14 she was like a different person I was like oh well thank god for that and she was like I'm really sorry I just I couldn't and I think, like you said, you just need to get, if you can just focus on getting through that that first trimester as best you can, yeah. whatever that looks like, and then focus on all the habits that are going to help you. Yeah. And I would just like to say, obviously, this is not a secret that I've been through this before. Like, I experienced that to the point where I've got, like I said, I've got a really good body image. And because of other things going on, plus that, like, I hated looking at myself in the mirror hated it there was nothing to do with nothing to do with what was going on inside my my female parts at that time it was my, my I thought I was like oh my god my my arse is shrunk my arms are getting fatter all of these things and none of it was happening but this but this is when I had a good body image and I and I knew what was going on I could rationalize it and that was still happening so I can completely understand so that's why I'm saying don't force it but it will pass um I'm sure, like I'm sure that it will pass and just do what like do what you can and it will get better um but yeah good question I've got quite a few clients at that position right now um who's next for a question don't know. Uh, um, I, can't, I can't remember right um okay um Oh, again, change of pace completely. 
<laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying that it is best to eat fats and proteins at breakfast and avoid carbs due to stabilizing blood sugar levels. My question is, how true is this, if at all? Louis? Okay. Um, it's all nonsense and massively overplayed. It sort of goes into the whole um, insulin hypothesis that goes ahead around fat storage. As soon as insulin's involved, people are like, well, insulin's up, therefore we're storing fat. It's just, it's um, majoring in the minors. It's like looking at the micro details, not looking at the bigger picture. We're constantly in a, a phase of mobilizing stores but also depositing stores and when we have a meal we will be depositing more but then as that meal sort of digests and is absorbed we'll actually start to mobilize more than we deposit as well in the grand scheme of things we know that energy balance is the main important thing in most things that um in when we're looking at most goals so blood sugars will be tightly regulated anyway unless you're using uh, exogenous insulin so don't worry about it. Don't listen to them. Delete the podcast and just listen to us instead. Yeah. Do you know what? It's so funny because like that's the old school bodybuilder mentality, right? And you've just obviously explained it really well in terms of they think it's because of insulin to have no carbs at breakfast. And actually now with the emerging chrononutrition research that suggests that potentially we might actually be better health-wise to have more carbohydrates in the morning rather than at night it's like the complete opposite so the evidence if anything like if you're and this is emerging research we don't in terms of body composition it's not there yet right but in terms of metabolic health there is some research to suggest actually you're much better off having your carbohydrates earlier in the day and then potentially protein and fats at night so it's it's completely wrong not only is there evidence there well there is no evidence for that and if you look at body comp research that's done like carbs in the morning versus carbs at night makes no difference whatsoever um so not only is there no evidence for it, but actually metabolic health-wise, they're completely wrong. Stupid bros. Boo, <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got a question? Yes. Um, negative, yeah, but what are Preach. the positives um, to come from it for you both? Uh, we'll start with Anna. Oh, Christ. No, there there are there are many positives in that I am absolutely loving life in my own little flat. It is great. <laughs> Even in isolation and lockdown, it's been wonderful. So very thankful for that. Um and another year with you guys, which is I mean, this year has been awesome. I think as a team, it really has. Yeah. Um, I think at times we've all kept each other going. So. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's I memes. At... Like. <laughs> yeah. So many memes. I was looking at um, like a vid. No, I think I put my Instagram live thing up on on from EIQ, and I was looking through like videos that I had, and it was like with various people in it, and then I was looking through the the, the any screenshots that I had of us. And it's like you can see in people's faces when they were having their breakdowns. It's so funny. Like there was there was one for me in summer where like my face was like quite round, and I was obviously like this is just before my nervous breakdown, and I'd started mindlessly, and my face was round. And then there was like pictures, like pictures or videos from like September time, my face was dead skinny because I dieted because I was like I just had been in a crap place, and then I was dieting. And then like and and slowly but surely we all seem to be coming back to like our, <laughs> our faces and things just kind of are like normal coloured and normal shape and size for us and it's like oh we're all creeping back um and then you've got bloody emma story gordon who just looks freaking the same all the way and i'm just like you can just do one with your constant like state of steadiness the whole time <laughs> um my positive is like i agree i think we've had a really great year and i think like especially things like the podcast that we've been so we've got on top of now and and it's one of the highlights of my week um and I also think we've come into our own in terms of what we've, how we've supported clients. And I've loved, like, I've loved that we, we haven't fallen prey to, well, how are you managing, like, how are your clients managing with lockdown? And it's like, 
we're, they were all managing the way that we always not manage and I don't think that, that don't think that's really common at the moment and it's made me really grateful because it's reminded me that actually what we do is really freaking cool not that I forgot but I'm proud of that and I know it sounds cliche and obviously I launched EIQ Nutrition this year and I'm really proud of that as well that's been um, really good for me and also I discovered the British countryside more and went swimming in the lakes so that's also positive um yeah what about you Lou? um yeah it's it's been a challenging year but I think like we said earlier it's like these challenges help you adapt to make you better for it so like I think I'd probably got in a rut with my training beforehand and sort of going through the motions and I feel like I'm very blase about training now I haven't trained for the last few weeks and it's sort of like this is okay like I'm okay with this um and did a lot of running exploring the countryside um which has been really really like took it for granted probably because it was on my doorstep and I never do it because I probably had to just go to the gym when actually it's like driving out half an hour and going for like a 10 15k walk exploring the countryside um reading a lot more I've started to do that thank you very much for the book Amelia I've just I've just read um a chapter called no not the, that one where is it it's don't be nice be kind and that was a really good one um and the one about that was like don't peer over the urinal which I really enjoyed uh, <laughs> about Harrison no um, um, and then yeah it's, it's probably digging into reading I think I'd probably got into a bit of an identity behavior of I suffer with dyslexia and was just like well I, I'm, I don't enjoy reading books by hand I'm much better with audio which is probably true but challenging myself actually going actually switch off from everything and sit down let's read a book and let's get better at that and it's not it's not like a physiology book or a nutrition book it's like provoking my thoughts and probably a lot of inner work that we've probably all done that I'm really proud of of like questioning my beliefs questioning my behaviors and dig into why why I do these things and do a lot more self-discovery um and yeah being with you two every week and keep <laughs> each other afloat and I remember the first one we had at the first lockdown and <laughs> we were all just having our own at the very start of our like slow meltdown we were like this is fine like <laughs> it's fine so yeah uh, and look, at, look at us now like that's so we're... funny I remember we were like we were all just having we were all having drink weren't we and then we didn't we did then after that night when we were all fine we didn't do another call for like two months after that <laughs> it was like we're fine we're fine no one is fine <laughs> oh, good times um what time are we on i think we could get a couple more questions and only oh i've got so many to go through still okay um something that is quite a that has quite a big emotional impact on you, but still make sure that you stay on track. Sorry, I missed the start of that one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, how to deal with something that has quite a big emotional impact on you, but still make sure that you stay on track? Um, I, it would be feel those feelings. And like, there's, there's obviously a reason for that response and sit with it and lean into it as we always say don't don't distract yourself if it does get to a point where it is too overpowering then there may be that need to have a bit more comfort there from something else but make sure you go back and revisit it and explore that why you're having that response to that event um and then like like i've just said dig into what is driving this emotion behavior where is it coming from assess whether it's valid or not or if it has any weight behind it and exploring those uncomfortable thoughts I think a lot of time in society it's almost especially within men it's sort of like bury that somewhere for later I'll come back to that and you never come back to it until it comes and bites you in the ass again so actually taking some time to process what's happening and identifying and sitting with those emotions and thoughts and feelings can be really useful yeah Anna no I completely agree as a as I'm sure everyone's aware, I'm very good at suppressing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think now learning to to just feel and be with those emotions, it's uh, it's not easy and it's not difficult, but 
it's not easy. No, it, it, it's not easy. It is difficult, <laughs> but in the long run, it will help you the most. Yeah, I agree. And also, I also think, so you have a really big emotional day. I, uh, Friday when my computer died, I turned my computer off at, well, I didn't go on from lunchtime, to be completely honest. But at 4pm, I ordered pizza and had a glass of wine and shut my curtains. And for six hours, I cried about things, didn't really go on my phone. And then I was like, great, that happened. And then I woke up the next day, like, that's normal. And yes, like, you know, certain small things can happen and it only lasts a day. And other big emotions happen all year for some things. And you don't stay on, you don't stay quote unquote on track. But you, if your track is to improve your relationship with food, um, you're feeling really emotional, crying, having a, having half a pizza and some ice cream and then going to bed and getting up the next day. That is a completely healthy relationship with food. You are on your way to, to getting your goal. Um, it's about, I think, sometimes reframing, about, reframing your situation in the sense of on track for you is not hitting your macros, actually. For some people, it might be, but for this person, actually, it's not. It's it's about it's mostly about improving your relationship with food. So I'm very proud of someone if they're trying to improve their relationship with food and they say, Do you know what, I had a really bad day, I got really upset, I did a bit of journaling, then I ate a pizza and then I went to bed. That's freaking awesome, and I think that's well on your way to a good relationship with food. There was um, a quote that I can't remember the book. It was one one of the main researchers in compassion, and it was around. Um, when you suppress emotions, they go down to the basement and lift weights. And I think that's a really nice way to look at it is that when, if you suppress it, it will come back and it'll probably come back stronger and it will probably blindside you. And we've probably all felt this as well as a team when you've something, you have one of those, you don't know why you're crying. You don't know why you're so emotional today. And then you can actually pinpoint it's something that you suppressed a couple of weeks ago that has built up over time. And there's been these other things. And then it's not just one thing. Usually it's a whole sack of things that just blindside you. So yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't suggest suppressing it. Yeah. And also like in terms of, <laughs> in terms of like the actual science, suppression often leads to an increase in calorie intake and of comfort foods rather than, reframing things and acknowledging them so it's not even like we're just being airy fairy here like suppression is is, and what we mean by suppression is just not feeling your feelings um it's actually really negative in terms of your eating styles in general so yeah um okay i'm i'm aware of time do i've still got like 10 questions to do so everyone who still asks questions we might have to do an extra podcast to get through all these. We'll see how we, how we go. Maybe we do an extra one next week because I feel like some people have asked questions from a couple of weeks ago and we still haven't quite got to them. So I don't want to completely ignore them. So maybe we'll do another one. Not that you're not going to be bored of us after an hour and 10 minutes, but like I feel like as well, everyone's conversation skills start to dip. No offence. But like after about an hour, <laughs> your mouth kind of gets a bit dry. And you're like, uh, and then you start to lose it a little bit. And we want to be fresh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe we'll do another. We'll, we'll try and get we'll get all these questions in. Maybe we'll do another podcast um, next week beforehand so we can add them up. Just want to add um, that was the quote I just said was by Christopher K. Germa. And the book was The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, just in case. Oh, anybody... yeah. Chris Germa, he's the guy that did. Did he, he co-authors with Kristen Ness, wasn't he? Mm. Or he co-authors with someone. Yeah. yeah. And there's like a there's a podcast where they interview the Kristen Neff, Christopher Germer, and uh, Paul Gilbert because he's based at Derby Union. It's like all the compassionate people and like so much compassion. It was amazing. Oh, delightful! Okay, we need to get on that. Obviously, not as good as ours, but second right. best. Cool. Well, thank you both, guys. That was delightful. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for your questions. Thank you.